Our first reading is from the Gospel according to Luke. In those days, Caesar Augustus declared that everyone throughout the empire should be enrolled in the tax lists. This first enrollment occurred when Quirinius governed Syria. Each went to their own cities to be enrolled. Since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. He went to be enrolled together with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage and who was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for Mary to have her baby. She gave birth to her firstborn child, a son, wrapped him snugly, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the guest room. Nearby shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angels stood before them. The Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, do not be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angels, praising God. They said, Glory to God in heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go right now to Bethlehem and see what has happened. Let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. They went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw this, they reported what they had been told about this child. Everyone heard it was amazed at what the shepherds told them. Mary committed these things to memory and considered them carefully. The shepherds returned home, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything happened just as they had been told. Our second reading is from the Gospel according to Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the territory of Judea during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you have found him, report to me so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went and looked. The star they had seen in the east 
went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And today I'm going to share with you. Um, I'm going to share with, share with you a story for Christmas. I've done a lot of preaching this week, so I'm going to do something a little different in uh, this time this morning on Christmas Day. And. Uh, the story that I'm going to tell you is a Christmas story called The Story of the Other Wise Man. It was written in 1895 by Henry Van Dyke, and, and it reads about like you would expect a Christmas story written a century ago to read. Uh, but the reason that I'm uh, reading this one for you this morning is because I think something that happens a lot on Christmas is that we think about the story of the baby Jesus and what happens in the manger and on the journey there and on, uh, the, on this night when we come to, come to church at night. And we don't always connect it to, to this when we come to church um, in the morning, the rest of the year. We hear the remainder of uh, the story of Jesus Christ that plays out in his ministry 30 years later. Um, and what this story does is it uh, intentionally connects the birth story of Jesus to the story of his ministry that takes place when he becomes an adult. Um, it is not at all um, sacrilegious to, uh, to come up with one's own story about uh, something that inspires us in Scripture. It's uh, happened throughout uh, Christian tradition, and in fact, it's very much a part of the Scriptures and stories uh, that we tell on Christmas. Uh, this story happens to be about the wise men, the kings, the magi. Uh, they themselves are the product uh, in our tradition of a lot of storytelling creativity, let's say. Um, the, uh, a few examples of that are that uh, the idea that they were kings, um, that arises you know, much later than the original story. The, the scriptures make it pretty clear that they are astrologers, that they are star followers, um, that they're some sort of uh, scholars um, in their, uh, their early community. It's really uh, when the, the Christian tradition becomes united with monarchies uh, during the Middle Ages that we start to talk about them as kings. Um, furthermore, uh, we have a, a very uh, firmly uh, planted idea, most of us in our minds, that there were three kings. Uh, the Bible says nothing about that. It says that there were three gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and from that, the, the, transition, uh, the, tra uh, the tradition has extrapolated that there were three of these magi or wise men or kings. Uh, and finally, the, the tradition even gives them names that are mentioned nowhere in, uh, in, in Scripture. It calls them Balthazar and Melchior and Caspar. Um, and that's a, an invention of tradition that has become ingrained in the stories that we tell uh, in church. And you will hear that in the story of the other wise men. 
But uh, I think it, it, it is a, a great and fun little story because it unites what happens at the manger with the Holy Family to the ministry of Jesus. And I hope that you'll enjoy uh, listening to some of this story this morning. It's too long for me to tell you in its entirety, so I'm going to tell you some bits and pieces of the story. I'm going to trace together the plot line for you, and then I'm going to read some excerpts uh, for you. And this does come from an original copy of the book that was uh, passed down to my mother by a member of her family and that she a number of years ago gave to me. Uh, so this story, uh, the story of the other wise man, as the, as the title hints, uh, is about someone who was similar to the magi we meet in scripture, but not one of them. And the idea here is that we are in uh, some far distant land in the Middle East, and there is this, uh, this magi, this astrologer, this uh, studier of stars, who is part of a community of uh, his own people who do that stargazing uh, and are looking for signs from the heavens. The particular uh, man we meet is by the name of Artaban, and Artaban uh, is a bit more of a dreamer and a seeker than some of the people who are in his particular community. And he goes to their gathering at one evening and tells them about a distant star that he has heard about that he wishes to go follow. Um, and he's met with some resistance um, from the, the comfortable people in his community who want to just stay where they are and kind of suggest that he do the same thing. I'm going to read to you from the beginning of the story where Artaban comes to their common council and tells them what he wishes to do. Hear me, my father and my friends, said Artaban, while I tell you of the new light and truth that have come to me through the most ancient of all signs. We have searched the secrets of nature together and studied the healing virtues of water and fire and the plants. We have read also the books of the prophecy in which the future is dimly foretold in words that are hard to understand. But the highest of all learning is the knowledge of the stars. To trace their courses is to untangle the threads of the mystery of life from the beginning to the end. If we could follow them perfectly, nothing would be hidden from us. But is it not our knowledge, but, but is not our knowledge of them still incomplete? Are there not many stars still beyond our horizon, lights that are known only to the dwellers in the far southland, among the spice trees of Punt and the gold mines of Ophir? So you hear Artaban, the, the dreamer, wanting to go beyond what he has ever seen. There are so many myths and stories about the individual who finds her or himself in a community and wants to go beyond it and find and learn more. And this is what he says next about exactly where he wants to go. It has been shown to me and my three companions among the Magi, Caspar, Melchior, and Balthasar, we have searched, searched the ancient tables of Chaldea and computed the time. It falls in this year. We have studied the sky, and in the spring of the year we saw two of the greatest stars draw near together in the sign of the fish, which is the house of the Hebrews. We also saw, saw a new star there, which shone for one night and then vanished. Now again the two great planets are meeting. This night is their conjunction. 
My three brothers are watching at the ancient temple of the seven spheres at Borsippa in Babylonia, and I am watching here. If the star shines again, they will wait ten days for me at the temple, and then we will set out together for Jerusalem to see and worship the promised one who shall be born king of Israel. I believe the sign will come. I have made ready for the journey. I have sold my house and my possessions and bought these three jewels, a sapphire, a ruby, and a pearl, to carry them as a tribute to the king. And I ask you to go with me on the pilgrimage that we may have joy together in finding the prince who is worthy to be served. So that's Artaban's dreaming plea to all of his brothers, and they all turn him down. They say, no, we're, we're happy staying here. We're not sure about what it is that you want to go see. But you go, Artaban. You take your livelihood that you've sold and your three jewels and go see what you can find. And so out Artaban sets, and there's a beautiful description of the wilderness journey that he takes in the direction of Jerusalem as he begins his journey, um, moving on to meet his, uh, his brothers, the three kings that we have heard about. But when he gets close, he's, uh, he, you know, he's within a day or so journey of, of meeting the kings he's longed to see, and he is stopped by a man he sees injured on the roadside. And here's what happens when he runs into them. Artaban's heart leaped to his throat, not with fear, but with a dumb resentment at the importunity of this blind delay. How could he stay here in the darkness to minister to a dying stranger? What claim had this unknown fragment of human life upon his compassion or his service? If he lingered but for an hour, he could hardly reach Persippa at the appointed time. His companions would think he had given up the journey. They would go on without him. He would lose his quest. But if he went on now, the man would surely die. If he stayed, life might be restored. His spirit throbbed and fluttered with the urgency of the crisis. Should he risk the great reward of his divine faith for the sake of a single deed of human love? Should he turn aside, if only for a moment, from the following of the star to give a cup of cold water to a poor, perishing Hebrew? God of truth and purity, he prayed, direct me in the holy path, the way of wisdom which thou only knowest. Then he turned back to the sick man. Loosening the grasp of his hand, he carried him to a little mound at the foot of the palm tree. He unbound the thick folds of the turban and opened the garment among the, uh, above the sunken breast. He brought water from one of the small canals nearby and moistened the sufferer's brow and mouth. He mingled a drought of one of those single but... Uh, potent remedies which he carried always in his girdle, for the Magians were physicians as well as astrologers, and he poured it slowly between the colorless lips. Hour after hour he labored as only a skillful healer of disease can do, and at last the man's strength returned. He sat up and looked about him. Who art thou? 
he said in the rude dialect of the country, and why hast thou sought me here to bring back my life? Now let me ask all of you churchgoers, what story of Jesus in the Gospels does this one recall? Any guesses? The Good Samaritan. Of course, he's run into a man injured by the roadside, and he delays his own journey in order to help him. What happens as a result of this delay is that he misses the Magi. He arrives too late to meet them in Babylonia, and they go on on their journey. And the tragedy of this for Artaban is that they take off across the desert, They've prepared and uh, purchased together a caravan to see them the, the whole way through. And Artaban will have to take the first of his jewels, his sapphire, and go back to the city and purchase his own caravan and equipment in order to make the journey across the desert. And so he has lost one of the gifts that he has brought to give to the king. But he does that, and he continues his journey. He makes his way first to Jerusalem, and then understands that the uh, star appeared in Bethlehem. And so he makes his way there. When he arrives in Bethlehem, he discovers that he has arrived too late. He hears news of the star that arrived there and the child that was born. But the child has moved on. They say the family has gone to Egypt. And he, as he walks around town, he meets another family, a, uh, a, a woman who has a newborn child of her own. And this is his reflection as he's invited into their house and sits down with them. Might not this child have been the promised prince, he asked within himself as he touched its soft cheek. Kings have been born ere now in lowlier houses than this, and the favorite of the stars may rise even from a cottage, but it has not seemed good to the God of wisdom to reward my search so soon and so early. The one who I seek has gone before me, and now I must follow the king to Egypt. The young mother laid the babe in its cradle and rose to minister to the wants of the strange guest that fate had brought into her house. She set food before him, the plain fare of peasants, but willingly offered, and therefore full of refreshment for the soul as well as for the body. Artaban accept, accepted it gratefully, and as he ate, the child fell into a happy slumber and murmured sweetly in its dreams, and a great peace filled the quiet room. But suddenly there came the noise of a wild confusion and uproar in the streets of the village, a shrieking and wailing of women's voices, a clangor of brazen trumpets and a clashing of swords and a desperate cry. The soldiers, the soldiers of Herod, they are killing our children. And what is the story in the Gospels that this story recalls? Do you remember what it's called? Sorry, speak up. Yes. The slaughter of the innocents, it's referred to in, in tradition. Right after the birth of Christ, Herod, who has sent the Magi to find the Christ child and report back to him, and of course they don't, 
hears that the child has been born and not wanting to be threatened by this coming king of the Jews, he sends out his soldiers to slay all of the children under two. And that is what causes the Holy Family to flee to Egypt. In this story, Artaban is there in the midst of the slaughter of the innocents and finds himself in a home with a mother who also has a newborn child. And when the soldiers come to the door, he retrieves from his pack his ruby and bribes the bloodthirsty soldier to move on to the next house, which he does. And Artaban finds himself without the second of his two treasures he wishes to give to the child. And so the story continues, and Artaban travels to Egypt. He travels for years, actually for decades, looking for signs and trying to hear of the life of the Christ child. And finally, toward the end of uh, a long, long journey, when he has grown quite old, he hears of a leader of the people who has been preaching to them and inspiring them, and he hears that he is facing death in Jerusalem. Artaban makes his way to Jerusalem to see this thing that is taking place, and he finds Jerusalem in chaos at the time of the crucifixion. And at that time in this story, as, uh, as it is told about Artaban, there's a group of Madi- Madi- Macedonian soldiers who are dragging a young woman through the street seeking to sell her into slavery and to make a profit. He confronts them and tries to figure out what the story is about this young woman. And realizing that she is innocent, he draws from his pocket his pearl of great price, the last of his three jewels, and pays it to the soldiers to purchase her freedom. It is just in, in that, at that moment that in the crucifixion story that we know, according to the Gospel of Matthew, there is a great storm and an earthquake. The curtain of the temple is torn in two, and in the shaking of the quake, there is a tile from the rooftop that slips off and strikes Artaban on the brow, mortally injuring him. He falls into the street And he is laying there in the arms of this woman who he has uh, purchased freedom for. And this is the way that the story comes to an end. As she bent over him, fearing that he was dead, there came a voice through the twilight, very small and still, like music sounding from a distance, in which the notes are clear but the words are lost. The girl turned to see if someone had spoken from the window above them, but she saw no one. And then the old man's lips began to move as if in answer. And she heard him say to her in the Parthian tongue, Not so, my lord. For when I saw, when saw I thee a hungered person and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw I thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? When saw I thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? Three and thirty years I have looked for thee, but I have never seen thy face, nor ministered to thee, my king. Artaban ceased in these words, and the sweet voice came again, 
and again the maid heard it very faintly and far away. But now it seemed as though she understood the words. Verily I say unto thee, inasmuch as thou hast done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, thou hast done it unto me. A calm radiance of wonder and joy lighted the pale face of Artaban like the first ray of dawn on a snowy mountain peak. One long last breath of relief exhaled gently from his lips. His journey was ended. His treasures were accepted. The other wise man had found the king. And in this ending of the story, we discover what so many of us wonder about in our spiritual journeys. Where and how will I come to know God myself? Where will I meet Christ in my journey through life? And the lesson of this tale is the lesson that many of us receive, that it is often not through lightning bolt moments or uh, things that we might have imagined that we meet the glory of our God but through the everyday, everyday interactions with people who are in need, that we find the chances to love and serve in the ways that Christ did, and that in, others, in serving others, we serve God, and that in meeting others, we meet Christ. And so I invite you on this Christmas Day to be prayerful about that idea, that there are places we go, very ordinary places, every day of our lives, where we may be confronted by a challenge, an inconvenience, an unexpected step on our journey, and may have a chance to meet the one who begins as the baby in the manger and who calls us to a life of faith. Amen.